COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease include fever, cough, and sharpness of breath. These symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after exposure. If you're experiencing these symptoms and have come in contact with or in an area with an ongoing outbreak, please call a hotline and or consult a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I'm your host, Dan Scotland. If you are currently a medical marijuana patient and want to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up on Instagram at IamCannabisSativa. You can also find me on Twitter at ICSativaPod. You can find and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor FM, Overcast, Radio Republic, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play Music Store, and more. Please rate and review us on iTunes as rating and reviewing us will bump up the pod on their algorithm and put this podcast in front of even more eyeballs. If you like what we are doing, please become a Patreon supporter of the podcast and support us. Supporting us helps us to keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. And you can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am Cannabis Sativa podcast slash support. You can also support me now on Patreon at www dot patreon.com slash IC Sativa podcast. You can support this podcast for as little as $1 a month. We also have a $5 tier if you're feeling extra generous. A special thanks to our current patrons and supporters. Shout out to friends of the show Reefer Revolution for supporting the podcast. Shout out to our new Patreon and friend of the show Gracie Gatto. Shout out also to Joy One Love 420, also a friend of the show and founder of Keystone State Reviews. Becoming a Patreon or financially supporting us through Anchor, Patreon, PayPal gets you perks like early episodes, exclusives, and, and shout outs at the beginning of every episode. We also have been recently syndicated by friend of the show, Russ Belfill, and will now be featured weekly on Radical Russ Radio right before his show from Monday, 7 a.m., Tuesday, 9 a.m., Wednesday, 11 a.m., Thursday, 1 p.m., and Friday, 3 p.m., all mountain times. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. Howdy, howdy, Kelly. Hello. Hey. Thanks for uh, thanks for making this work. Yeah, not not a, not a problem. Um, we always like um, talking to n- new people and um, getting a feel for what what hemp and what cannabis is like um, in various states and countries. That's awesome. I love it. And it sounds like you you all have been doing some important work there. And, and so are you in New Hampshire? Um, no, um, I live um, I live like 10 minutes away, but I do a lot of I do a lot of work um, and, and stuff between the two states like um, like New England, like all the six states are 
pretty small and they're pretty easy to get to. So people are always doing um, business, travel, errands in the various other states. And I've, I've, I've been doing like um, New, New Hampshire doesn't have a uh, sales tax. So I do a lot of like my main errands there. So, nice. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know um, folks in, in the Massachusetts area, but um, one of my, my friends, Ellen Brown, uh, she's was also, I saw on Facebook, um, testifying for New Hampshire. So uh, she's, she's definitely a mover and shaker, a leader in, in, that, in that area. So she'd be a good contact for you. The name, the name rings a bell. Um, I, I think I, because I'm, I'm pretty versed in the New England uh, cannabis scene. So I, I, I think the name rings a bell. Does she like? Does she do like? Um, what's the name? Does she do sort of like seminars or something like that, or is that someone else? Yes, yes. Sense, no, sense of me seminars is yeah. Yes, what, yes, I've heard that's of what her. she does. Yeah, I watched an interview that um, she was in, like, I want to say a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, um, she she was she was on the Rick Nias show. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a New Hampshire uh, cannabis advocate. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the circles run tight. I met I met <laughs> Ellen in Colorado uh, back in in twenty sixteen. So small small world it is um so i i read i read about your background and um you know your what you do and everything and pretty pretty fascinating sort of background you um you mentioned on the site that your dad worked in um your dad worked in sort of hemp eradication um so that sort of leads me to like my um my first question. Um, so um, I've, I learned about this like a few years ago, but like I was learning that like in a lot of like the Midwest, the, there are, there are, there are feral hemp, like, like throughout the Midwest, like during, because during like the war effort, like, like America was growing a lot of hemp, you know, for the war effort. And then um, when, when reefer madness reared his head in the, in the in the after the 40s or whatever you know they started trying again to get, started to try to get rid of a lot of the hemp or whatever and um so could you sort of go into um what your dad's experiences were with you know hemp eradication and um are there still is there still a lot of feral hemp in kansas and what's been your experience with that yes so i'll i'll start with the, that the last part um hemp and, and cannabis, you know, the, the plant, it does grow naturally all over Kansas. And uh, one of the studies that, uh, that I discovered that my, my dad was a part of, it mapped the way that it started or the way that they, they, they thought uh, it spread throughout the state. And it's really interesting to see this map. It started up kind of by the Missouri River, the northeast corner of the state, and then it just spread throughout. But you can find uh, grow wild uh, hemp. Farmers call it ditch weed. Uh, you know, that's it. Yeah, it's everywhere. And it, and even in the places where it's 
um, considered drought areas because a lot of part of the state, the central and western part of Kansas, doesn't get a lot of precipitation. And uh, it, we know that hemp is so robust that it, it, it thrives even in those in types of environments, uh, even some not great soil compared to other crops like corn and soybean that are not doing well right next to it. So it's, it, we know that it, it, it does grow well throughout the state. Um, and you're right, there, there were a, the, the major war effort that did um, you know, drive farmers to, to grow it. Uh, and then of course, you know, later they, they were not uh, allowed to and dissuaded from it. And um, we, I, I think also uh, we need to, t my, what I, something that I've been trying to drive is the fact that we need to be allowed to research hemp in the state that is already naturally occurring, uh, that we've not been allowed by statute to, uh, study the genomics and the makeup of what's naturally occurring because uh i think we will find that some of it it has just been so naturalized that uh it it may be um you know equivalent to what indigenous cannabis could have been to the the region because there are genetics that that are from here originally uh we had some brought in from the dutch and and other you know immigrants that that came in and grew it but uh it will be interesting to see i think as as laws progress and as the scientific advancements progress that we can identify genetically what we actually have here because it we know it's very like I said it's it's really robust uh so going back to you know what my my dad was involved with as a biology student uh, at K-State, which is the first land-grant university in the country, was, was Kansas State University. They have a very um, strong and, and uh, you know, deep-seated uh, education um, department around ag agronomy, uh, agriculture, and, and all of the related fields. And so um, Kansas is also in the middle of the animal health corridor, which is where the, the largest percentage, it's like 50, some 56% of the world's um, research around animal feed and animal uh, health and, and everything that, that deals with um, animal science is within the corridor of Manhattan, Kansas and Columbia, Missouri. So we're, we're primed and, and positioned very well to, to utilize something like cannabis. Um, but, you know, my, my father at K-State, he, just as a, a volunteer student, uh, he was a part of these studies where the uh, lead researcher, the graduate assistant and, and the, uh, I think an assistant professor, uh, they, wanted to find out certain questions and hypotheses. And so what the, one of those studies that my dad directly helped with was uh, they wanted to find the best ways to kill hemp or what they thought was was marijuana or can, you know, um, high THC cannabis and uh, come to find out it, it wasn't. And uh, when I when I discovered these full text publications in 2017, I realized that this was proof that that showed uh, what we thought, what prohibition was was trying to limit, was not backed by scientific observation or, or scientific evidence, because 
they they one of their conclusions was uh, there's a drug type and there's a fiber type, and yet they they enacted the Controlled Substance Act that outlawed both or, you know all forms of cannabis, right? And um, one of the other things that I, I found interesting is these studies were ultimately uh, funded by Eli Lilly and Ilanco Manufacturing Company, which is a it's a global pharmaceutical and, and chemical conglomerate. So looking back into the early 1900s, I'm going to take a leap here again. Eli Lilly was one of the large manufacturers of cannabis products. I mean, before when it was in when it was within the U.S. Uh, pharmacopoeia and there were, you know, cannabis medicines made and, you know, people just like cocaine and, and other products, um, they were found openly. Eli Lilly was one of those manufacturers. So they knew early on the benefits there. They had um, patents on on these chemicals, things like that. Um, and yet later here in the 70s, they they were funding studies to eradicate uh, hemp and, and ultimately cannabis. So um, my, my dad was very closely involved as far as the eradication part. He strapped tanks of 2,4-D to their backs and sprayed fields of hemp, um, which, you know, 2,4-D is phased out now. That's something that they know it has, has known uh, health condition uh, attributes. So is it like DDT or something like that, or yeah, two four D is the it was was the uh, the chemical that was used, but yeah, it's along the same lines. I mean, it it is it it's a it's a serious chemical, and um, they they did other types of methods too. I think they, he said that he tried they tried to burn it, they tried to infest it with pests, you know, pests and grasshopper, you know, all kinds of things. But they they went around to farmers' plots within Riley County, uh, where K State is located, and and uh, you know tried tried. One of the things that stuck with me uh, when I when he was telling me this or originally when I was about you know thirteen, uh, I remembered specifically him saying that whatever we tried to do it would always come back we couldn't really get rid of it and that to me was like okay well there's there's something to this and there's also something weird that we're trying to kill something that we know grows well because that just doesn't make sense yeah and i i have i have um family who farms and my dad was part of the, a crew that farmed all up and down the Midwest uh, the, during the wheat, wheat harvest. So, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time on a, on a farm, even though I'm from a city. And I got to tell you, I mean, when I, when, when I realized, when I put the, the things together that this shouldn't be outlawed, and yet all of our farmers are suffering and, you know, commodity prices are, are not going well. And you have these tariffs with other countries and all this, I was like, we we need to change all of this, and and so that's that's kind of my my connection is I uh, you know I, I discovered this data that that my dad was a part of, and and things have kind of uh, happened from there. So I advocate you know at the state level and uh, have been involved with some regulatory work and things like that, and um, yeah, it's it's all it's all very fascinating to me. So I could talk about it for a long time. I know you can as well. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy that how much like resources they, they spent to, to get rid of something that grows naturally that benefits the environment. Like I was even reading something that bees, like the disappearing bee population, which I've been hearing about since like, like I'm in my early thirties. I've been hearing about the disappearing bee population since high, since I was in high school in the mid aughts or whatever. And it turns out bees like, like uh, hemp and they like the cannabis plant and like it, it can help rebound their population. Like it, there's just such a huge amount of good that hemp can do. And it's just, it's just crazy that we have all these politicians that are, you know, and, and, and companies as well that want to keep it illegal, whether it's, you know, cop unions, whether it's um, big pharma, like Eli Lilly, like you were just saying, um, it's, it's just really, it's really crazy that we're being prevented from having this. And especially because like, people are not smoking cigarettes or tobacco as much anymore. Like, and like people, like the farmers still need work. At least like, like they still need something to do with their land and like allowing hemp would really, really go a long way. Um, from what I read, they were saying that like in, in Kansas that like, I think the period started for people to apply, I believe like was it January or whatever, like early January when people could start applying for, yes. for grow to, to yes for for 2021 um that is correct and the deadline is in march yep okay yep and we've now um kind of moved into the the commercial hemp uh, field as as other states are are still in the research phase but um our the kansas plan was adopted by usda and so we have um, moved into the commercial and then they're they're looking at I think a, a few different changes maybe administratively or in the statute realm and then um, they they're it'll be interesting to see what happens with the federal at the federal level because uh, you know with a new administration I guess they're they're not pressing pause on it but they are taking a look at the the, the final rule that came out and um, Kansas needs to be able to match that federal level because there are a, a few different things within it, such as the, you know, THC threshold and things like that, that we need to, we need a lot of help for farmers in that regard. So hopefully we can get those things figured out moving forward. For sure. Um, so I feel like you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I just wanted to sort of like ask like, um, like, I mean, I live in, in, in Massachusetts, so I haven't, like, I think the first, like, I've been to California, like, once in Washington State once, but I haven't really been, like, too deep in, like, the Midwest. Um, so what's what's the weather like in, in Kansas for, for those outside of it? And, and in regards to how it relates to growing hemp, um, I would imagine, like, the like the western portion near Colorado is probably a probably a less hospitable place to grow hemp or um I'm, I mean I'm not sure but I just sort of wanted for 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 those of us sort of on the outside like what's what are the conditions for growing hemp and what would what are like the ideal places in in Kansas to, to, to grow and cultivate hemp that's a great question um and so one of the great things about about Kansas is we we have a very very um, 
diverse uh, kind of layout of uh, soil type and precipitation zone and climate zone and all of that, but it's all relatively, you know, the this the same um, as far as climate type. So um, Kansas, you're right, in the central and western part of the state is more arid. There isn't as much precipitation. They don't they don't get rain as often and and as heavy. And it also gets missed for a lot of weather patterns during the winter time too. So it it, it does need it requires um, and I think more in, increasingly so over uh, time. They have just completely drained the aquifer. Um, the the Ogallala aquifer is the main source of groundwater for those farmers out there, and they have been growing corn and other types of crops that are, are very uh, water intensive, and so they've been draining the aquifer for generations. And uh, I mean tillage in itself is the thing that caused the dust bowl from back in back in the in the 20s is if farmers weren't tilling and and constantly getting up all of that uh, debris it wouldn't have gone airborne if if you know there so all of the principles of regenerative agriculture like cover crops you know permaculture um, no till and never till all of these things that hemp uh, grows very well with uh, those were taken out of the repertoire of a farmer and and they, they didn't use those tools for for too long and so what we're looking at is you know a a, a region of the state that is heavily um depleted as far as water goes so they need something that's drought resistant and um their soil type is kind of sandy loam it 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 is not ideal for some crops, but um, but does work for things like hemp. And what we found is that in the first year, so Kansas first got to grow hemp in 2019. And within that year and, and 2020, over 90% of the farmers grew high CBD plants. So short, bushy uh, plants in a more you know medicinal style. And it didn't it didn't work for uh, a lot of people and too many farmers bet the farm on it where whereas they needed to have started research into fiber and seed and and grant you know the, all of the other types of uh, varieties so I, we're gonna see a shift over time and we're seeing it already there's some great things happening with um, uh, Melissa Nelson Baldwin and South Bend Hemp in, in the central part of Kansas, they're getting into some some great um, research and production uh, capacity for a processing facility on the fiber and, and grain side. So I, I think that what we're going to see is because of the way Kansas is is um, kind of divided in the soil and, and precipitation, that more fiber and grain those types of varieties for farmers are going to be more advantageous in the uh, central and western part of the state. Whereas 
in the Western and uh, Southwest, we're going to see probably more people growing uh, for cultivars for different purposes. We may still see some multi multi and dual purpose, but um, it may be more of the the indoor. Um, and of course, what's what's also amazing, Dan, is that you know once we've got genetics for um, triploid and polyploid that are crossed with auto flower and do some really, really inventive and innovative genetics uh, work on them, we can develop crops that can be grown outdoors in 90 days. We can harvest. Uh, it won't get cross pollinated, even if it, even if it's in the air. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that we can do. That's not necessarily GMO, you know, per se, um, but just, just innovative work, uh, that, that I think needs to happen to move the industry forward. And in addition to, um, you know, closing the supply chain and making sure that farmers have a place to, to take their crops. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, you answered like a lot, like there were other questions I was going to ask, but like you answered them within that one question. So like, I, I really appreciate that very sort of thorough response to that. So it, it does seem that like, um, that, that um, for the time being that a lot of the farming and the growing is going to be more for fiber and more for, you know, feed or whatever, ra rather than CBD because of the because um, people, because the farmers haven't been, haven't acclimated or haven't figured out what, what are the best things to grow in the uh, diverse soil of Kansas. So, um, so it seems like perhaps you guys are going to be like a sort of, a sort of, a fiber sort of powerhouse as opposed to, you know, like other states like Kentucky or Tennessee or Oregon that are growing more for CBD. I think we're going to see overall, I mean, the, the, the industry. So, I mean, I was just involved with a, a, a product line that launched during the pandemic and they were a vertically integrated uh, hemp producer. So they, they grew their own genetics, uh, got that biomass processed, manufactured their own products and, um, and had, had retail sales. So, you know, there are people that are still going to do that and, what what we've seen though over the past several years is there's just a huge gluttony a, a massive surplus of biomass and product on the market i mean the amount of of uh the amount of cbd that could have been produced by one or two farmers could have supplied the whole state for a year i mean there's there's just so much that's out there right now and that's where you know our the, the price is going to continue to decline. And if people want to uh, survive, eventually, I, I, you know, we're going to see a lot of changes, I, I think, move in, in that regard. Um, and, and it is C CBD growing for, for high CBD content. It's very labor intensive. And these farmers in, in Kansas are used to growing uh, field, field crops, you know, large ag, um, not in that, that, you know, small horticulture style that is done for, for, um, you know, cannabinoid content cannabis. So it's, yeah, we're, I, I, I think that, um, Kansas is going to see some changes, but there are always going to be people wanting, wanting all aspects of it. So for sure. Yeah. 
Um, so to sort of shift gears um, to um, to medical sort of cannabis. Um, so I, I mean, I've, I mean, so some, so being being out here in the east, like I've I've heard a little bit about um, Brownback and you know his his sort of shenanigans, and he so. So we've we've gone from him being like a staunch like opponent of any medical cannabis reform to um to now um what's the name Governor Kelly who supports um medical cannabis reform but um but then you still have sort of barriers like 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 Dan Hawkins who leads the Senate that wants that is not really a fan of reform um so so could you sort of walk us through like the prospects of medical cannabis, you know, now, and, you know, what were the barriers you ran, what what were the barriers that Kansas ran into, um, you know, over the years? And if those barriers will sort of be overcome this year or in the near future? Yes. Well, that's, uh, that's very complex. And, uh, and that's in short what politics is in Kansas is it's it's very complex and also complicated, but um, so I, there there's a there's a lot that is happening right now especially and it seems to be happening uh, at a much faster pace now that the governor that Governor Kelly has uh, announced that she wants to see medical cannabis. Uh, legalized and and also pay for Medicaid expansion, which is, by the way, a very hotly contested issue in Kansas, as it is in other states, uh, as it, even though it shouldn't be. Um, it's a no-brainer. But that's been on the books, uh, the holy grail, really, uh, of regulation in, in the state first. And... Um, Having a governor now that that is tying medical cannabis to it, I, I don't know uh, how it will be received yet. Uh, we think that definitely lawmakers, um, you know, they want to do the right thing for Kansans and, and for their constituents. But when it comes down to things like like this, um, they really need to look at the evidence and um, not base their decisions on on beliefs and and opinions. And so, what we've been trying to do is provide as much education and, and data, uh, just evidence based data for all of this. And uh, that's the work I'm doing with the Kansas, uh, Kansas Cannabis Business Association and um, a couple different lobbyists. There is I, there's a lot of support for it. And we know that overall, this is not a nonpartisan, it, it's a nonpartisan issue. But there are still people that, uh, like you said, are staunchly uh, against it and have been. Uh, there are barriers that I've seen personally firsthand in meetings uh, that included, you know, law enforcement officers and, and uh, lobbyists for law enforcement agencies that don't fully represent uh, not only the information well, but not not fully representative of their constituency within those agencies. So, you know, for example, we know that um, the majority of law enforcement officers don't believe that they should be pulling people over and and prosecuting them for nonviolent crimes. I mean, that's that's I've talked to multiple law enforcement officers and and highway patrolmen across the state. 
Um, and there are multiple examples of it too, where they, they just, they don't see it as a, a big deal. So we need their leadership really to, to um, understand that there those voices are out there and also that their peers uh, in other law enforcement agencies, such as, you know, law enforcement against prohibition uh, or police for reform, they have identified that this is something that needs to happen in order to rebuild with or with our communities. And this is a trust building issue uh, and that drugs in general should become, you know, come from the public health side of things, not law enforcement and, and a punitive approach. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just saying this is what we've been trying to, to educate uh, people in this state on and, and bring awareness to the fact that we're, I mean, Kansas, I'll let you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but um, Kansas is the, the state that receives the most amount of revenue for charging would-be criminals uh, who get cannabis confiscated because wow. we, we still have on our books and we actively enforce a law that charges people uh, for a drug tax stamp, which is, is erroneous. I mean, they don't issue drug tax stamps for this. So uh, other states have, have made that law in unconstitutional but kansas does enforce it and we receive over a million dollars uh annually from from that from is wow. my under, my understanding so i mean there are a lot of things like civil asset forfeiture that we need to get changed on the books and um you know just decriminalize cannabis in general but um that's those are all things that are are kind of in in the works and i think hopefully with two bills, one in the House and one in the Senate. And then I think I, uh, another bill that uh, could be putting put forth by the governor's administration, that may really put the pressure on people to, to have a, a serious discussion about the policy and the details. Because here's the other thing, um, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, but uh, the, the proposal by the governor to have medical cannabis pay for for medicaid expansion the only way that that's really going to happen is if it is a well a well put together program that is not too restrictive so they yeah. had they had proposed something like ohio and ohio has had so many documented issues they they've there that is a classic your medicine there's classic it's a classic example of, of lessons we need to learn from states you know that have have gone down certain paths and if they're gonna compare it to oklahoma we need something like oklahoma uh, that yeah. will generate enough revenue to cover a program like medicaid expansion so i mean there are a lot of other details involved with it but um that's that's kind of what we're working on so i appreciate the opportunity to, to share about so thanks for asking yeah um to sort of piggyback off that like you you mentioned working a lot with like um law enforcement and that a lot that 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 rank and file like law enforcement folks like they know they're wasting too much money on 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 busting people for cannabis but like perhaps like the like perhaps leadership there's a disconnect between leadership that wants to continue you know making revenue want to continue getting overtime or whatever um so like like what were like the sort of conversations you had with 
you know, law enforcement? And how do you like what were ways that you got some of them to on your side? Because um, in, in the because I, I went to test, like I mentioned, I went to testify for um, New Hampshire because um, they had bills to legalize. Um, New Hampshire is sort of an island of prohibition. Um you know, Vermont, my state and Maine have legalized and, and Canada up north is legalized. But the thing is, in New Hampshire, the police unions are the predominant industry in that state. So um, um, so they've done a lot to to stymie uh cannabis reform in in, in, in New Hampshire. Um, they're like they made like like because of them, their medical program is very, very restrictive. Like you can't even get, you, you, like you have to go to the dispensary itself to see the strains or whatever. Like they don't, like you can't really see strain names on menus or whatever. And during the pandemic, they didn't get to have, um, they didn't get, they don't have delivery cannabis during this pa- pandemic because of the cop unions. And it's like the, the, the cops sort of strong arm their way towards prohibition in that state. So um, I, I feel that a lot of people in, in states, you know, throughout the country where cops are, are, are blocking cannabis reform, like I feel like that would be very helpful and constructive to them. So this is a, it, it's, it's a delicate thing. And um, I can't say that Kansas is different in a lot of regards. We do have, I, I would say, um, let's say if, if we did have a medical cannabis program right now, I could see those types of things happening. Um, I, I do think it is encouraging that uh, there is somewhat of an old guard that is, is beginning to move on throughout the ranks. Um, and, and I'm not saying that people can't change um, because there are leadership in a lot of a- law enforcement agencies that have realized that prohibition really wasn't, really wasn't backed by objective evidence and, and it's, it's done more harm than good. I mean, there are a lot of people that, that, that think that way. Um, specifically the folks that have thrown up barriers in Kansas, I can, I can only speak to, you know, because I was appointed to the industrial hemp research advisory board, I served on a, on a committee with, um, you know, someone who was with KBI and there was another person from, um, a lobbyist for law enforcement agencies, multiple, I think four or five actually, uh, who was in those meetings. And so I've, I've. I've dealt with, in the regulatory sense, discussions with law enforcement officers, and I can I can only speak personally. I was I was the only person in the room that was really willing to to speak up and and say something about um, maybe a fact that something wasn't really represented correctly or something was really more based on opinion versus what the data show, you know, those types of things, and I. I I think that um, it was important for that to happen. I mean, I, I've always kind of had this like equal justice sort of uh, thing about my personality. So I, I, when I when I hear things and see things that I don't I don't think are true, I do I, I am going to say something, and uh, regardless of, of what it, someone's status is, and I feel that that was respected in some regards because not others uh, did others didn't feel like they had the place or I guess the um, uh, uh, 
you know, notion they, they couldn't do that because of they were representing an, an agency or something, whatever. Uh, I was coming at it more from an independent consumer um, industry voice. So in support of, of industrial hemp, which is what we were trying to, you know, it, it's like law enforcement doesn't really need to be involved with anything unless there's a crime being committed. But yeah. there, but I will also say a lot of folks in Kansas, uh, not, not a lot, these particular law enforcement officers and, and some of their constituents, they, they don't want to see cannabis legalized in any form because they have a philosophy, their, their cognitive bias causes them to act in a way that is, is not congruent with what reality is. And, and, you know, we know that one state over the sky hasn't fallen, like a bunch of people thought, people thought that, you know, kids were going to be jumping out of windows every day and all this, it, it hasn't, it hasn't come to pass. And um, people look at data or they look at information the way they want to and not necessarily the way it is. And um, that's been that's been one of the main barriers to get over here. But it hasn't just been law enforcement. We've we've also had some um, an outspoken physician here locally in Topeka who claims that he's an addiction expert and an expert on on marijuana. And he 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 really uh, also misrepresents information and uh, is not comprehensive in a lot of the work that that he's trying to argue. And so the law lawmakers have for too long, just in short, I'll say that for, lawmakers have for too long listened to the voices that not only don't represent data accurately, but really are are kind of on the fringe as far as their their philosophy, their outlook on on what what it is and how it affects our society. So I think that realization is important. And also the fact that this is a nonpartisan thing. I mean, the majority of people want legal access to cannabis. That's just the way it is. So either they either folks can get on board or not, but that's that's the way it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so to sort of, to sort of, um, piggyback off, um, off that, um, like what, like, like, um, I often hear stories of people, um, like all over the country, like, um, like I've heard stories of people like in Texas driving like 10, 12, 13 or more hours to Colorado to get, um, over the counter medicine, um, being that Kansas is right next door to Colorado, um, are there a lot of people that are making the trek um, to to places like Colorado? And um, do do are are do you see the? I mean, um, and also like are like like I've I've also been hearing because I was listening to one other podcast, um, and I, I think they were based out of like Florida or something like that. Like young people in Florida already, like um, Zoomers or whatever, they're already like they're college. Some of them are already college age and they're already looking at states. They're already factoring in like the legalization of cannabis into their their college um, application plans. Like they're looking to go to states like Massachusetts for college or, you know, Colorado or California or um, Nevada, so on and so forth. Are, are young people already doing that in Kansas as well? 
or I absolutely and and yes people do make the trek to Colorado um and I personally have um I have worked with an organization that has unfortunately moved families out of Kansas to places like Colorado so that they can have access uh, so that their children can have access to to this medicine and so uh it's it is very heartbreaking the amount of damage that we're doing to ourselves by keeping things the way they are here. Uh, there was a meme that went around several years ago. You know, there was a, a kid that stood on one side of the border and he was a patient. And then on the other side, he was considered a criminal. And it, it the hypocrisy has just, uh, it has driven so many um, divides and, and caused so much damage over the years that uh, people, I mean, it's it happening uh, actively, and again, it's another reason why um, highway patrol officers still pull over people from out for out of state tax. I mean, here's a perfect example. My colleague was driving in Western Kansas with a uh, California tag, and it was for a rental, and he was driving to Colorado for for work, and he got pulled over by a, a police officer. And come to find out that that officer pulled him over because it had a California tag. And that wow. is that is something that the Highway Patrol has been called on before. And there's a there was a I don't know if it's still a pending lawsuit, but there was a lawsuit against uh, KHP because that's that's it can be considered unconstitutional to target people from for out of state, especially if it is something very specific, like driving through the state with something that is legal where it was where it was purchased and where it's going to be consumed i mean there are issues with that so uh, it's uh yeah we're we're gonna but but i've i have gone to colorado for since i was little uh, my family had fishing trips up the Poudre river from uh fort collins and so we always i i've been going up there since i was little and it's been very fascinating to see the changes over the years um you know from from the changes from legalization uh back in 2015 when i first went to the national cannabis summit i i spoke with someone out there um i think one year later and he said that the population of denver alone it was this was eight or nine months into the year and he said the population of denver had already increased a million people just from the beginning of that year and it's because of what you just said people in other states are it's tourism it's people factoring in where they want to go to school it's all of these things um and and colorado has unfortunately and in some sense um it is a as a uh, a product of its own success uh, you know because a lot of people who are native coloradans um they they move there and have been there for years they're they're all moving now to out of state because it the cost of living has increased so much because of tourism and and things like that so it is um it's it's challenged those are issues that they've been facing and and will continue to but i think places like kansas um really need to we're, we're going to get on board. And once we do, we're going to see even more of a migration um, towards towards the Midwest just in general. And I think with Oklahoma, that for sure has taken place. For sure. Um, so 
So, um, so to, to, I guess one of like my last questions would be, um, so what, what bill do you think, um, what, so I, I read, I read one, one other bill that, about medical cannabis in Kansas, um, that they want to model it after New Mexico. Um, so what bills do you think would realistically get to Kelly's desk? Like would something that's more like you could only do pills, vape cards, tinctures, whatever. Do you think that's more, that's going to be more likely the medical cannabis program that Kansas gets, or do you, do you anticipate them getting, um, do you anticipate a whole flower one being voted on and being signed? So that's, a, that's, that's the million dollar question right now. And um, I think <laughs> I can't really answer that completely because we, we have to factor in the, the human factor. And, you know, we can provide as much data and, and every, everything that we can. But when it comes down to it, if people don't think that it's the right thing to do or they don't believe that, um, it's what's best for the kids within their district or whatever goes into their decision making. Um, if we can't get get over those barriers, then I, I, I think it's probably going to be a more limited uh, program, at least starting out. And that's that's the one thing I think that I need to remember myself and I'm trying to remind others is that regardless of whatever's put forward, it's going to transition. All of this is an evolution and um, there will be an ongoing uh, transition happening within any program. But, you know, that being said, my hope is that folks are going to listen to the information. They're going to understand it. To, they're going to read it to understand it and try to identify where the pitfalls are going to be ahead of time because we do, we don't especially for conservatives and and old you know republicans in the state they they have touted um human you know human liberties uh for for so long and this is a this is up there at the top with uh, with veterans, they need it for PTSD and cancer patients for illness. You know, people need the, the the freedom and liberty to be able to to have access to this medicine. And at the same time, um, it's it's the right thing to do for f fiscally for the state. And um, so, taking all of these factors into account, uh, it they we just need to put something forward that we're not going to go we're not going to have to go back immediately and use taxpayer dollars, waste taxpayer dollars to fix. And we can put forth a program that, um, you know, for example, one of the, and you're right, one of them is um, kind of modeled after New Mexico slash uh, Ohio. Um, that's the House Bill 2184. The, that, bill that is uh, Senate Bill 92 creating the Kansas Equal Access Act. Um, that is the bill that I helped co-author last year and that was introduced. Um, that's that's the bill that we think needs to to be taken up and and put forward. Um, we don't know what the governor Governor Kelly's administration is going to put forward. We're hearing that there may be a bill, some bill language later this week on that. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how how it will compare. Um, but it's it's all it's all negotiable. There are things that um, 
need to be included and we know need to be included. Uh, and in order for a program, especially to fund something like Medicaid expansion and its own cannabis, you know, administration program, it's got to be pretty, pretty open. And it's, it's going to have to include some things that maybe uh, people don't uh, think that are going to be okay, but really in the end, they, it will be. And I, that's one of the things that I, I'm trying to push forward as well is we have to have an abundance mindset. We, we can't be about scarcity. Our, our state has been so scarcity driven for so long and we've had cuts, budget cuts and digging, 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 and you can't, you can't bleed a stone. And so there has, something's got to give. And I think this is something that lawmakers can come to agree on that, you know, this is going to help uh, Kansans in a lot of different aspects. So. For sure. For sure. Um, so I, I thank you, Kelly, so much for um, being generous with your time and appearing on, on, on our podcast. Um, is there, so I'll let you have the, um, I'll let you have the last word. Is there anything that, what, what do you want to like plug or what, what else do you want listeners to know about what you do, what your organizations do, so on and so forth? I, I just, um, I guess I'll just say, you know, thank, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate you reaching out and making the connection. Um, you can find me on on uh, Facebook. I'm on Twitter, uh, Green Thumb underscore one O N E, and uh, you know I'm I'm with multiple organizations, kind of as in, in an advisor role. Bleeding for Kansas uh, or Bleeding Kansas Advocates uh, was the original organization, and and I co-founded Kansans for Hemp. We're on Facebook and Twitter too. And, um, you know, the Kansas Cannabis Business Association, they're the ones that have, have really kind of taken up the flag this session and, and run with things and, and gotten a lot of traction. So any, any uh, support that you can give to, to KSCBA, you know, reach out to them and um, we're, we're making things happen in the statehouse. So, I mean, there's a lot to look forward to. And uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm always happy to talk about things and, and collaborate on stuff. So, again, just really appreciate the opportunity, Dan. Like likewise, um, it was I, I, I learned a lot that I didn't know previously about, you know, Kansas hemp, you know, the the environment, you know, whether um, whether there's going to be more of a CBD sort of craze or more of a f hemp fiber or feed sort of craze. And um, I'm, I'm sure my listeners are going to learn a lot, too. Um, again, thank you very much for appearing on this podcast. And um, I, I hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. you too. Bye bye. If you find yourself coming around often to my podcast and want to support our humble little project, there are quite a few ways you could do so. Supporting us helps us keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. You can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash i am canvas sativa podcast slash support you can also support me now on patreon at www.patreon.com slash ic sativa podcast
podcast. You can support the podcast for as little as $1 a month. We also have a $5 and above tier if you are feeling extra generous. Additionally, if you wish to get in contact with us, you can leave a voice message on Anchor and you can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am Canvas Sativa podcast and click the send voice message button and I may just play it on a future episode. You can also call and leave a voice message at 617-466-9389 and I may just play it on a future episode. Feel free to join the ever-expanding I Am Canvas Sativa podcast planet on Discord. We've Yes, we've got a Discord channel and that Discord channel can be found at https colon slash slash discord dot gg greg greg slash 65TG2NR. Again, that is HTTPS colon slash slash discord dot GG slash 65TG2NR. Feel free to check out Sequoia Organics for a great source of CBD and hemp based products. You can check them out by the link HTTPS colon slash BIT dot LY slash 33FKRV. And you can enter the following coupon codes for extra discounts, such as Dog Treat 20, Tincture 20, 40% sign off ISO, 15% sign off CBD. And that applies to the entire store. And as always, everyone, stay medicated, my friends. Peace out and ciao.